you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to continue through the book of Acts, and we're going to pick up in verse 19 after Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, four of them, exercise the spirit of Python. I'm hoping I'm drawing context, flooding your mind from last week's study. Delivered a, a slave girl from a demonic spirit that was described as the spirit of Python from the temple of Apollos, and he said, be gone with you. He rebuked the spirit, immediately left, because she was using one of Satan's most dangerous attacks, which is to align himself with the gospel in such a way, in an artful way, to distort it. And now we're going to pick up the response of what is going on here, and we're going to be looking at a very practical application on how to be right when wronged. And it picks up in verse 19, all right? But when the masters of this demon-possessed slave girl who was making money for them out of fortune-telling as she was seen as someone who was acting on behalf of Apollos the God who was the God of, 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 of prophecy, all of that is in the context, when the master saw that their hope for profit was gone, They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not law for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanded the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the maximum security area, the inner prison. And then, just even though he may have not been told this, just to be sure, he fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praises to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Let's ask God's blessing on this. We'll walk through this together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we sing for joy before your presence. Lord, it is our hearts that we would shout joyfully because of your salvation. We come before you in your presence with thanksgiving. Lord, we want to sing joyful to you, for you are a great, great God. You are a great king above all earthly gods. Lord, it is your hands that formed the depths of the earth. It was your hands that pointed the peaks of the mountains. The seas are yours, and everything in it is yours, and your hands have formed all that we know. Father, we worship and we bow down before you. We kneel before you as our maker. You are God. We are your people. We are the sheep of your hands. 
Lord, my prayer is that when we hear your voice today, we will not harden our hearts. I confess my sins before these people, Lord, of which I have many. I pray that you would be glorified, that your Holy Spirit would always, first and foremost, be our teacher. Father, we want to have a relationship with you. We just don't want to go through customs and cultures in your name. We want to know you so that we might be a new creation. Everything that we loved before, passing away. And everything we love is now new, and that is you. Father, we pray these things and we ask them in your Son's precious and holy name. And if you're thankful to see the Son in Michigan, say amen. amen. All right. Here we go. How dare you? That's just something I've always wanted to say to you folks. All right. No, I'm doing it. How dare you? With, with an honest raised hand... Um, let me grab this. And by the way, this is my first me- This is a piece of humble pie for me. This is my first message ever being here where I will speak to you with bifocals on, all right? So I've reached a new chapter in my life, and I will not receive any, any critique for that, all right? Yeah. <laughs> I get dizzy wearing them. So I don't know if you have any tips. We'll talk later. But with a raise of hands, how dare you? How many here have ever been wronged or have either said those words or thought them because someone had wronged you and you said, how dare you? Anyone at all? All right, some of you. Now, in honesty, how many here have ever earned those words being spoken to you because you were the one who did the wrong? And of course, that's all of us. You ever know that when someone wrongs us, we want justice and truth. And when we wrong others, we want, what do we want when we wrong others? What do we want? grace and mercy. But if they wrong us, may the hammer of truth be upon them. And now my mind goes to Thor. Moving on, all right? Sometimes as we walk through the Word of God, I cannot believe how clear these words are, okay? As we walk through the Word of God, we come across passages that will bring to us deep theological truth then there are times when it is just filled with practical application. And this is one of those passages. Well, there is theological truth that reveals the nature and the person of Jesus Christ here. That will be seen between large throths, if you will, of practical application in our lives here. And the primary application, we touched on it briefly just before we got started, is how to be right when we are gravely wronged. So with that in mind, let's dig into the text and see how to live our lives when we are wronged by other people. And before we do that, I'm just going to use this really fancy Barb Mendemenda hook right there. All right. So here's our text today. So let's grab some context. Paul has just freed the slave girl from the bondage of Satan and her earthly masters that were making a great deal of money off of her. She was the one who kept running behind Paul and saying, these men are the bondservant of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And we looked at last week, what is wrong with that? 
Remember, Paul stopped her from saying this and freed her because Satan was using her to distort the gospel in an artful, in an artful way of aligning with it. Hopefully last week's context is just kind of backfilling here as we go. If you weren't here, it's online, and I encourage you to grab that context, because not knowing the context in which we read the Scripture is, can be a very dangerous way to read it. Now, all of the sudden, I want you to grab this, all of the sudden, the prophets of the slave girl that she made her earthly masters have absolutely dried up. On top of that, Paul had broken at least one rule in Philippi, which, by the way, Scripture tells us the only time in Scripture, even though he goes to many areas in Rome, he is in a Roman providence, the only time we are given that detail. He has broken one rule while in Philippi, which is under Roman rule. Jews inside of Roman territory were tolerated, but they were not allowed to proselytize Romans. They were not allowed to try and convert Romans. We see this little cultural nugget emerge from the text when we read the words here, proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept. They're proselytizing and observe because we are Romans. Now, truth of the matter is, sharing Christ in Philippi, while breaking a, a, a misdemeanor, if you will, law, was tantamount of going about five miles over the speed limit, especially in this polytheistic culture that we unpacked last week. This is hardly an infraction worth the kind of treatment they are about to receive in this text. But truth of the matter is, while he violated and drove five miles an hour over the speed limit by delivering the slave girl, and, and of course we got Lydia and her family and others who are starting to come to knowledge in Jesus Christ, that was, that was a small infraction. The truth of the matter is, what Paul, Silas, Timothy, and who's the other one? Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. We got four of them together here, because we are in the we passages of Acts, they have created the greatest of all crimes. And that is the fact that they had touched the wallets and the culture of these men. The wallets and the culture of these men. We see it in the words, the prophets are gone. How dare you? How many here would agree that at the end of the day, most people vote on their what? Talk to me. Wallets. Will that touch their wallets? And by the way, we also see their culture and that they have turned our city into confusion. Here's the first thing I want to just bring out of this text. Watch a person when their wallets and their culture is touched. Watch a person when their wallets and culture are touched. You will see quickly who and what their God is. A lot of times we confuse our culture with our faith. Americans? And this is for all the world, of course, as well. But since we are in America, all right, land whom I love, all right, we confuse our culture with our faith, mixing them as though an attack on one is an attack on another. And the truth of the matter, it is not. If we are willing to disobey God, if we are willing to rationalize disobedience in order to keep our culture, our culture is our God. Wow, a lot of amens there. All right. Is everyone awake? Okay, no one. 
But being wronged doesn't end there. Being wronged does not end there. It's just getting started. It says here that they seized Paul and Silas here. Now, this is interesting because how many are in Philippi right now? Talk to me. How many men are in Philippi traveling on a ship that went 156 miles in two days, all right, because they had a stiff wind at their back, and they walk 10 miles into Philippi, and they go down to where they think they ought to be a time of prayer, because we looked at that in the Mishnah, and they find some women there, but how many men went to Philippi? Talk to me. Four. Why are only two arrested at this time? This is interesting because there's four of them, but only two are seized. Why are Luke and Timothy not seized? Why is Luke writing as a free man when he is just as responsible in this group? Here's a point to remember because Luke and Timothy are Gentiles. They are Gentiles. Paul and Silas are what? They're Jews. They begin to be wronged at this point in another way they grab Paul and Silas because of anti-semitic hatred anti-semitic hatred you see anti-semitism or racism is a mankind problem I'm going to say that again and if you can affirm that with an amen I would appreciate the sin of racism is a mankind problem amen Amen. if you're different from me therefore you're less In fact, all right, it is not new to our culture. It is not exclusively American. Just a few years earlier during this time, the Roman Emperor Claudius expelled every single Jew from Rome. In fact, you can see it baked in to the the book of Acts in chapter 18, verse 2, if you wanted to go there. Yeah, 18, verse 2, in 41 AD, he said, if you're Jewish, you're gone, and everything you own is ours. Racial hate against the Jews are thick in Roman culture right now, and they are in a Roman providence, which, by the way, is where retired royalty and politicians and, and, and soldiers would retire to and were given large throths of land, and they lived tax-free under the Roman government. This is a culture that no one is allowed to touch. So they arrest these Jews. Racial hate is thick against the, in the Roman culture right now. We see this in the words here, being Jews. Now, just when we think it could not have gotten any more, worse, or wronged, when they could have yelled at the top of their lungs, how dare you, it gets even worse. The chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods right there in the yellow. Now the reason you see the words "Uh uh-oh up there is there's one major problem with this legal decision. Now Rome was not known to be delicate. Rome was not uh, known to be slow to judgment. But there's a problem here. While Paul and Silas are Jewish, they also have a certain kind of citizenship. Does anyone want to guess who they are citizens of? Who? Rome. Now, Roman citizens were not allowed to be publicly whipped. 
Roman citizens were not allowed to be publicly whipped and must receive a legal trial before receiving any punishment or imprisonment. To violate said rights as a Roman citizen could be, if, if I was the magistrate and I, I whipped, now I'm going to leave them alone, right? and I whipped Luke, which is more likely, all right, and he's a Roman citizen, I could be whipped. I could even be put to death. But... There are, there are two greatest sins, and that is do not touch our wallets and do not touch our what? Culture. If they violate the rights of Roman citizens here, Rome could very easily take away their tax-exempt status. Now, with that being in the air and in our minds, why in the world would they risk breaking the law with Paul and Silas? And they let Luke and Timothy go because there's a possibility as Gentiles they might belong. Well, there's two reasons, and the first will flow into the second. First of all, there's racial hate. We see that in the words, these Jews, which Claudius expelled, and we only took two of them, these Jews. And by the way, this racial hate caused them to act in a, in a way. Look at here. The crowd rose up together against them. We see it right there. The racial hate flowed into mob justice or in mass riots. We see that in Scripture. The magistrates either could not stop what was already happening or they went along with what was already happened. But here is the same point. Hate often makes not only the heart small, but it makes the brain small. Hate makes things that we desperately need Small, our hearts in our heads. Now look at what happened. Talk about being wrong. Talk about being able to say, how dare you? You took two, not four. It's because we're Jewish. You're violating all of our rights. And before they could even get the words said, it's all of a sudden you see here, they tore their robes off and they began beating them with rods. That's an interesting word there. We'll get there later. Struck them with many of those, threw them into the prison, not good enough, put them into maximum security, and then put their feet in stocks. Now this word stock. Stocks is interesting, all right? It's the Greek word zulan, which means the wood stocks. Not to be confused with America's wood stock, all right? Now, these wood stocks, all right, they were meant not only to prevent escape, you know, you can't run, but they were designed to spread your feet, this is as a Dutch man who doesn't exercise, spread your feet as far as possible and lock them in that position. F.F. Bruce tells us what these kind of woodstocks were designed to do. To spread your legs as far as possible, making sitting near impossible and standing as painful as possible. Imagine your legs are spread as far as they can. Now imagine trying to sit down. How's that going for you? Imagine trying to get up. F.F. Bruce continues, he says this, they were meant not only to prevent escape, but to inflict pain. I want you to remember the words, how dare you? Paul and Silas are being wronged on every possible level, racially, legally, relationally, emotionally, 
spiritually. They are being absolutely shredded at this moment. It's important to remember that because as we move through this text, it's going to blow our minds. And then when our minds are blown, the dust that settles will be application for our hearts here. While Luke does not take the time to tell us, such wooden Zulan stocks were a form of torture. Now let us remember their state. Their rights have been trampled as Roman citizens. They are the object of hateful racism. Their backs are torn open. They were flogged severely. They were locked into an inner maximum security prison. It is pitch black. In fact, later in the text, the guard has to call for the lights to be brought in. Their feet are in wooden stocks, which would, by the way, were designed to make laying down impossible without further tearing up your backs. Now, with all that in mind, please understand, this is not just a textbook. This really happened to Paul and Silas, and they are writhing in pain. They cannot sit or they cannot stand without it exasperating what is going on. Now, I know what all of us are thinking. As you see those bruises and the cuts and the blood proceeding out of their their backs, and, and they've been wronged in every way, our minds can't help but say, but at least they didn't have to wear... A medical mask against their will. Sure, Paul had all these things done to him. But he never knew the pain of an elastic strap on the side of your ear. And the mild irritation that would cause the skin on your ear. He never had to smell his own fresh coffee breath. Everyone following me there? How many during the pandemic were like, all right, let's go, oh, you know. Anyway, moving on, staying in the text. Apparently I'm the only one and everyone else here has effervescent breath, all right? I strongly believe that if Paul was told he had to wear a mask, that would have been the final straw. You can touch my culture and my wallet, but this is a step too far. To quote one Hollywood theologian, (laughs) he would have taken a flamethrower to this place. In the name of God and all of his glory, in the name of rights and the glory of God, he this level of persecution would have sent Paul over the edge. Now I'm having fun with. I'm having fun with you. By the way, I, just to be on the fair side, I hated wearing masks too. I hated it so much. So much of it was absurd. I remember one time I went to a restaurant requiring wearing face masks, and I had to wear one because I wasn't seated, but the guy right here who was leaning against the bar stool, don't judge me, bar stool, all right, who was at the same height, 20 inches away from my face, seeming to start every word with the letter H, He didn't have to. And he was saying things like, and I swear this, and by swear I mean I'm completely making this up. He would look and say, Henry is highlighting how Hank had horrible hemorrhaging hiccups on this hilltop house. I felt like I was seated next to a human hairdryer. And he didn't have to wear a mask because his knees were bent. How hard it is to turn your brain off like that. 
You just look at the waitress and go, oh, of course, sorry. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, you're about to get your answer, sister, and then you're going to feel really bad. Let's calibrate what we call persecution. Let's calibrate how we react to our rights. Let's just draw it in a little bit. I need you to picture Paul and Silas here. Let's put things into perspective. Let's respond graciously to unwanted inconveniences. But let's not call it persecution. Now, why do I bring this up? There is so much application here. And I'm going to ramble off just a few of them, and then we'll park it in the last one. Here it is. God does not give Christians exemptions from hard times. Take comfort in that. God does most of his work in our life through difficult times. And when we may say, how do we take comfort in that? Well, Paul understood that he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ far before he was ever a prisoner of Rome. Maybe what matters most is finding out what matters most. And here's one. No matter how bad, church, if you can, and if you're willing, agree with this, no matter how bad, God is greater. He's greater. No prison can hold what God chooses to release. But one of the final applications I want to pull out here is is this. Are you ready? Their response. Their response. Their rights have been trampled. Roman citizens, as Roman citizens, they are the object of hateful racism. Their backs are torn open. They're locked into the inner maximum security prison. And in the pitch black, their feet are put in in the Zulan wood stocks that are a form of torture. And they have been victimized to the extent we could not imagine. And rumor has it, they want them to wear a mask. Yet look at their response. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns and and praise to God, and the prisoners were listening. We could just stop there and let that verse flood our hearts. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns and praise to God. With all that is going on, they are, they are praying and they are singing and they are praising. Knowing their Jewish heritage and upbringing, the fact that they are praying and singing tells us almost certainly that they were singing and praying through the Psalms. I think we can also say with fair certainty they were not praying to be released or set free either. Think about that. The text clearly speaks to this, and we'll touch on both of those this evening because we don't have time this morning. But I, I want you to see here is this, and it is here that we come to our final application. How is it possible in this condition, in this violation, in this persecution, in this being wronged, 
How is it possible in a time when all they should be doing at midnight is screaming, how dare you? Do you know what a citizen I am? How is it possible that they are singing and praying in joy? Here is, here it is. Are you ready? Oh, if the American church and the, and the westernized, westernized Christian could find this in our lives today, Paul and Silas understood what many of us have forgotten in our culture of unbelievable ease. And here it is. Praising God does not depend on our circumstances. In fact, their singing is not based on any happy outcome. They have no guarantees. James has been beheaded. Other Christians have been tortured and killed. They have no guarantee that they are getting out of here. G. Campbell Morgan hits it right on the head when he says this. They did not sing because they would be let out of prison. They sang because prison did not matter. Now that seems like a pretty like hyperbolic language here. So let me be clear. The reason Paul and Silas could sing and pray and rejoice is not because their mistreatment never mattered to them, but here it is, because Jesus mattered more. Does Jesus matter more? And then I want you to put a blank after that sentence and then put a hard stop period. Does Jesus matter more than that? Fill in the blank. May I ask you a question? It's just a question. I don't know. Could it be that oftentimes our response is so poor when what matters to us is touched, might be because what matters to most of us, what matters most to us may not be Christ. I received a phone call not too long ago from a young man who was in love. Hate those phone calls. They're sickening. He was in love. You could hear it. Starry eye. I said, I don't have time for this. The weight of life will soon crush your joy and then we'll talk. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> He said, I'm petrified of losing the woman I love. I'm petrified of losing her. I'm like, why? Did you do something? He goes, no, but what if she got into a car accident? What if this? What if that? What if I lose her? In humility, and I've been guilty of this, I don't ever preach to you because I've arrived, but because I can relate. I said, that's why Christ... You must make sure that Christ is on the throne of your life. Christ must be what matters most in your life. If you put anything else on the throne in your life, anything else in your life matters more than Christ, you are setting yourself up for devastation. Because here it is, church, everything that is in this world is vulnerable except Christ. Amen? Everything else can be touched. Our freedoms are vulnerable.
Our freedoms are vulnerable. Our rights are vulnerable. Our loved ones are vulnerable. Our wallets are vulnerable. Our culture, pray tell, that we can't see this, is vulnerable. But when Christ is on the throne of our lives, when He is what matters above all, even in the most painful of circumstances, when everything that we love is shifting under our feet, that words of that old favored hymn, we know that there is no shadow of turning with Thee as Thou has been. Thou forever will be. Great is His faithfulness. Now before we go home to get a nap in and eat and fall asleep again. Before we take this home, we need to add one more thing because there's one more thing that's just staring us in the face and then we're done. Why is it important for true believers in Jesus, to make sure that Jesus is on the throne of their life and not some earthly substitute. If I said, what is the one thing you cannot live without? And your answer is anything other than Christ. Buckle up. Why is it important for true believers in Jesus Christ to make sure He is on the throne of the life and not some earthly substitute? Why must we exalt Jesus even in the midst of how dare you moments? Well, we talked about that now, but let me add this last one. Look at what is next in the text. Because people are listening. People are watching. truth of the matter is, if people know you are a follower of Christ, they are always listening. They are always watching. In fact, may I communicate this to all of us, starting with me. How we respond to difficult things is far more powerful. How we respond when, when our rights are touched and our loved ones are touched and our, our lives and our wallets and our culture is touched. How we respond is more powerful than any number of words we could ever utter. It is a far more teachable moment to those around us about our faith. Here's a question that I've been saving with all of this being said. Here's a question I've been saying, saving. What did people see? What did people hear? What did people watch from the church in America today in the last two years? What do they see from us now? Here's the point, here's the application. And then we're done. My friends, when it comes to our joy, our security, and our contentment, it is not secured by making sure everything that matters to us is untouched, but rather by making He who is untouchable what matters most. You see, when Jesus is on the throne of our lives, it will show in how we respond even to the smallest of things. 
We can sing in the midst of loss because we cannot lose Jesus. We can pray in the middle of pain because Jesus is the great physician. We can find peace in the storm because Jesus controls the weather. We can find joy in being wronged because Jesus is the final judge. Oh, hear me, my friends. We can hope in the midst of an evil world because Jesus has overcome the world. What matters most? Do we believe that? Because the world is watching. They are listening. And how we respond to what we say we believe is far more powerful than any Bible study we've completed. Let me ask you a question. What if Paul and Silas had all the same theology, learned from Christ, transformed on the road, three years of learning, Timothy getting circumcised even though he didn't have to so they could make sure the main thing was the main thing in the, as they present the gospel? You have Silas there. We have the great physician Luke. Imagine if they had all the same theology that we're looking at right now. All the same understanding. But at midnight, instead of praising and worshiping and being content and trusting God, Paul and Silas are screaming, we're all going to die. We can't, we hate you Romans. How dare you touch our rights? It's not fair. So help me God, I will burn this place to the ground. Or worse, I quit. Tertullian was a early first century Christian author who lived about 2,000 years ago. He wrote this, what we're about to share with you, 2,000 years ago when he read Paul's letter for the first time, Luke's letter. In this how dare you moment in Philippi, this ancient author grabbed a quill, some ink, and some partridge papaya, and he wrote this, The legs feel nothing in the stock when the heart is in heaven. Now clearly that is strong language. I'm sure Paul and Silas felt quite a bit. Just like you and I feel quite a bit emotionally, spiritually, physically when we are hurt, hated, or marginalized. So let's push this language into a sense where we can see the truth just a little bit more fairly. Our minds can handle more pain in this world, more hurt in this world, the more our hearts are in heaven with Jesus. My friends, life is painful. It can be hard. Everything is vulnerable. Save one. Save one. He who overcame it all. The reason you and I could sing, pray, and rejoice is not because life does not matter, but simply because Jesus matters more than life.
this is my friends how to live right when we are wronged tonight we'll dig deeper into this but I'll leave you with a simple question what matters most gracious heavenly father we come before you chase us discipline us cheer us, guide us whatever it takes Lord to shed the skin of our cultural Christianity so that we can actually love the Christ in it we love you Lord, dismiss us with your blessing, in Jesus name alone, amen, I love you guys you are dismissed